pair of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on, on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. And I'll pray. God, we again thank you for your word and just ask for your ministry to us, Lord, by your spirit, that we would hear you and that we would um, worship you, God, as has already been said, by yielding our lives to you. We thank you that you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, last week um, we left with Elijah at Mount Horeb, and he is there at the wrong place, and he's, because it's, he's, he's rebelling against God, he's depressed, he, um, he just has said no to the, God's desire for him, his will for him, that he be finish off the worship of Baal by killing Jezebel. That's why God had him run faster than the chariot in order to get to Jezreel so that he would be there ahead of Ahab and um, would have the opportunity to kill Jezebel without any resistance from Jezebel's husband. But instead, he ran away, went to Mount Horeb. He's full of himself, self-pity, depressed, wants to die. And so God has to work through pictures with him, and he brings him to the place where he recognizes that God is much bigger than anything he could have imagined, and that he is not the only prophet left, but there are 7,000 others. And so I believe that was a real turning point in Elijah's life. And God um, will take him at his word, take him at, and respond to what he is saying, that he doesn't want to be used by God anymore with anything to do with Jezebel or getting rid of Baal. So you can say no to God, and Elijah does that, and God accepts that. And, and yet, though he is to anoint Elisha to take his place, God will continue a relationship with Elijah. And this is a very important point. And I want to, in this, this message this morning, these last chapters of 1 Kings are about principally Ahab, but Elijah's in the background. And then when we come to 2 Kings, chapters 1 and 2, Elijah is back in the foreground. So I want to just, just track with Elijah this morning primarily and then come back and contrast with Ahab. But it's so important here to, to think accurately about what has just happened between Elijah and God. Years ago, I heard a sermon, um, and the man preaching, man I, I have a lot of respect for, said he knew of a, of a young woman that when she was in college, God called her to be a missionary. And so she was preparing to be a missionary. She was, was taking the, the right steps, was in Bible college and um, getting the education she needed to be on the mission field. And she met a man, fell in love, got married, had a family, never went to the mission field. And she told this man who was preaching, she says, God, like Elijah, put me on a shelf 
when I said no to him and got married and raised a family rather than go to the mission field. God put me on a shelf and he has never used me since the day that I said no. And this preacher agreed with her. And I thought, that's pretty tragic. Number one, life is not, as we're going to see, about being used by God. That is secondary to a relationship with God. And as we saw last week, the sum total of all God's activity is still less than God himself. So the bigger thing than God's activity and being used by God is God himself and being in a relationship with him. But the second thing is being used by God is is not something that just ends if we continue in a relationship with God. We can say no to God and God take our no for an answer. And yet this is the, the, the amazing thing about the Christian life. You can get back on track with God even after your failure and grow in your relationship with God even after you have failed and disobeyed and sinned. And God can say, okay, let's move forward. You may, through your sin, disqualify yourself, maybe willfully, maybe not willfully, but certain aspects of ministry are no longer on the table. Elijah will never be used again in reference to Baal or Jezebel. That is off the table. But that doesn't mean his relationship with God came to an end, and that's what I want to see this morning. In fact, it looks as though he gets more and more intimate with God. Years ago, um, a friend of mine who was quite prominent in his church ministry, he was an elder of a large, well-known church, um, was a... um, owned a business, a Christian Christian businessman, and and it was known as a Christian business, Um, he committed adultery and um, was in his 50s, committed adultery. He resigned immediately from his role as an elder, stood in front of the church, confessed his sin, what he had done. And resigned from all formal ministry roles. So he quit as an elder. He had been teaching at his hill. He quit teaching at his hill. And on one level he thought, God will never use me again. But he went back to the Lord. He sinned. He acknowledged his sin. He confessed his sin. And he thanked God for the forgiveness and cleansing that is in Christ. And what he found is that he entered into knowing the grace of God and the love of God like he had never known before. And God started giving him ministry that was not formal ministry, it was not an elder, it was not a Bible teacher, but he found men started seeking him out who had done the same thing or been very close to doing the same thing. And he started having a Bible study with a number of men who were meeting regularly at his place of business. Um, And he was having opportunities in people's lives that he had never had before. Now, he would not say, if he were here today, that is not, 
that is not making an excuse. That doesn't mean go out and sin so you can have more ministry. The point was there was several aspects of ministry that were no longer on the table. He had disqualified himself. But his relationship with Christ did not have to come to an end. And he actually got more intimate with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but some of the people that I would, would, would be the quickest to ask them to pray for me are people who have had great failures in their lives. But they have, through that, come to know deeply and intimately the person of Jesus. And they walk intimately with Him. And this is because it's in that brokenness that we often are truly humbled, and that is the gateway for knowing God's life. The first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It shouldn't have to take great moral failure to bring us to great humility and poverty of spirit. But sometimes that is the case. But it doesn't have to mean that our relationship with God comes to an end. Certain aspects of ministry may be no longer uh, options, but the relationship with God can grow deeper and deeper. And that's what we see, I think, here with Elijah. And the first thing, what I just read, is that Elijah does what God says, and he finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he's out plowing, and it says, with 12 pair of oxen. I don't think that is at all possible. You can't take one plow and have 12 team of oxen in front of that. There's no way to keep a straight line. There's no way to turn when you come to the end of the field. So I don't think it's saying that. I think what we're being told here is that Elijah, Elisha comes from a farm, um, a, a family with a farm that are really, really rich, where they're able to put 12 oxen, 12 teams of oxen in the field at the same time. That'd be like a farmer that can put 12 combines in the field at the same time. Now, when our students, a lot of them are from Canada in the Prairie Provinces, and they know all about harvesting, and I tell them, you know, if you know a farmer who can put 12 combines in the field at the same time, is that a big time? And they go, oh, my word, That's a, that guy is really successful. So you remember, Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. And now God is calling out a very significant man. He comes from a very successful farming enterprise. And he is working the fields. Um, and, and he is a very much invested in this. And when Elijah, Elijah comes over to him, doesn't say a word. He just takes his own coat off, his mantle, and throws it across the shoulders of Elisha. And turns around and walks off. Well, Elisha knew what that meant. That Elijah is saying, you're going to be taking my place. Well, you think when he would say something. Hey, I just want to let you know, man, you just got a promotion. You're not going to be out here plowing anymore. You're going to, you're going to be, you know, God's main guy. Doesn't say a word. Just throws his coat on him. Turns around and walks off. Well, he gets it. And so verse 20, he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, can you just let me say goodbye to my parents first? Which was perfectly legitimate. And Elijah very curiously says, go back again, for what have I done to you? And it, it looks as though this 
man, Elijah, is still severely depressed. He was depressed before he got to Mount Horeb. He's depressed at Mount Horeb. And now it looks like he's still depressed. Goodness gracious, Elijah, get with it. But I don't think that's the case. In fact, I think the depression is gone. This is something else. And I think we get a hint of it when he says, what have I done to you? See, things have so changed with Elijah, he's going, this is not a big deal. Now, it's a big deal for Elisha. It'd be a big deal for you or I. But for Elijah, he's going, no big deal. How can this not be a big deal? Something has happened with Elijah. Now, we don't see Elijah again. Remember, I'm just going to follow the, the track here of Elijah's life. We don't see him again until chapter 21. So he's not in chapter 20. Chapter 21 is about Ahab, and there's a vineyard that he wants that's owned by a guy named Naboth. And so he goes to Naboth and says, I want to buy your vineyard. And Naboth goes, sorry, king, I can't sell it to you. It's an inheritance from my fathers. Now, what he's telling the king is what the king knew. You can't sell property outside your family as an Israelite. Land had to stay within the tribe and had to stay within the family. And so he is not permitted by Mosaic law to sell the land outside the tribe. Plus, he probably meant, I got this from my dad, and I would really prefer to hand it down to my children, which he was supposed to do. And so Eli, um, um, Ahab, it says in verse 4, he came into his house sullen and vexed. Well, well, that's a big deal, right? No. And it, it says, and so it says, um, he lay down at the end of verse 4 on his bed, and he turned away his face and ate no food. So sullen vex means he's pouting. Because what's the good of being king when you can't buy the vineyard that you want to buy? So he's just pouting like a child, turns his face to the wall and pouts. Well, here comes Jezebel, verse 5. And she said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen and that you are not eating food, sweetie poo? Verse 6. And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said I'd give you money for your vineyard, and if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Whoa, what good is it being king? And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you not reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful, and I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so she goes and hires some worthless men who spread just absolute lies about Naboth and his sons. And they have a mock trial, and they stone him. They kill him and his sons. So now there's no heirs to take the property. So he doesn't have to purchase it, doesn't have to exchange it with another vineyard. Ahab can just take it. And so he does. And he's out walking through his new vineyard, rejoicing in his good luck. And here, came, here comes Elijah, verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. 
And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick up your blood, even yours. Now, I want to I'll work into this a little bit, but first you just need to understand, this has nothing to do with Jezebel, has nothing to do with the worship of Baal. Because Elijah said no on those things. And God is taking his no. So he was not using him in that again. And then Ahab says, verse 20, Have you found me, O my enemy? Now the last time these two men talked, it was out Mount Carmel. Remember? And, and, and there he says, Oh, is this you, you troubler of Israel? Now he's been... Elijah's gotten a promotion. He's not just the troubler of Israel. He is the enemy of the king. Now what did he do to make himself the enemy of the king? Just lived a righteous life. He didn't ask for this. He didn't cause it. He just living a righteous life. And when we do, we will have the Ahabs of this world hate us. And all you're doing is keeping your head down and living a righteous life, obeying God, and there are going to be people who are going to react strongly to you. And Elijah says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab. This is a very important prophecy later on Second 2 Kings. Every male, both bond and free in Israel. So every single person related to you who is male is going to die. And then in verse 23, and while I'm at it, Jezebel also, the Lord has spoken saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. Now I should make one observation here that's troubling. If, if Elijah had obeyed God when God rushed him to Jezreel faster than a horse. If he had obeyed God that night and killed Jezebel, Nadab and his sons, Naboth and his sons would still be alive. Right? That's pretty big stuff. And now Elijah, you know this would have been heavy on him. Now he's having to go and confront Ahab for murdering Naboth through Jezebel, and say, you are going to die, and all your male descendants are going to die, because of what you did to Naboth. And Elijah must have been thinking, and none of this would have happened if I had obeyed God and killed that woman. But Elijah, even though Elijah disobeyed, and this man dies as a consequence... Ultimately, it's not on Elijah. It is on Jezebel and Ahab. But that's just one of these things we see in our sovereign God. We, we, yes, we sin, we confess, we are forgiven, we can move forward. But that does not mean there are not big consequences when we sin. And there are massive consequences here because there's more than just Naboth and his sons. There are numerous other people that die as well because this woman stayed alive for so long before Jehu will finally kill her.
Now, Ahab hears this, and amazingly, he humbles himself. Verse 27, And it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Now here's another observation. All from the beginning, when we've seen Elijah come on the scene, it's been the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. And each time it says, and God said, do this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. The word word of the Lord came to, to Elijah, go to Zarephath. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. And we see every time it's go do something. This is the first time the word of the Lord came to Elijah and God tells him to do nothing. And what I get from that is that God is simply talking to this man now as one person talks to another, friend to friend. And he's not telling him to do anything. That speaks to me of intimacy. Something has happened here where his relationship with God is actually growing. Now you have to go over to chapter 2 to pick up Elijah. It says, Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. Ahab is dead. Ahab's son, Ahaziah, is on the throne. Somehow he fell through the roof. (laughs) I wish we knew how. I'd like to know that story. But somehow he's fallen through the roof and he hit the ground hard enough that it didn't kill him, but he's, pretty, he's in bad shape. So maybe he's got broken ribs, punctured lungs, ruptured spleen. I mean, I can just think about all the things that can happen when you fall and you're messed up and he's on the way of death. And so he, go, he sends messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether he would recover from his sickness. But... The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite. So you got to stop. Who is the angel of the Lord? All you got to do to figure this out is look up that complete phrase in a concordance. The, you got to have the definite article, the angel of the Lord. And when you find this person and, and follow him through the Old Testament, you see this is not an angel. Angel, that word angel just means messenger. But this person, the reason we say it's not a mere angel is because this person accepts worship and, in Exodus 3, claims to be God. But John chapter 1 says, no man has ever seen God at any time. How does that make sense? Adam walked with God in the garden. Abraham, Jacob, Joshua. Who was that in the fiery furnace with the, with the three friends of Daniel? You can go right through Scripture. These were, whoever they were seeing claimed to be God and demanded worship. So when John says no one has ever seen God at any time, the context there reveals he's speaking of God the Father, not God the Son. Because in the rest of the verse he says, but the begotten one, has revealed him. He has made him 
known. So God the Son has been seen throughout the Old Testament. We call it a theophany. It is a pre-incarnate appearance of God in the form of a man. And this is not the first time the angel of the Lord has appeared to to Elijah. The first time was when he was running from Jezebel and he wanted to die. And it says the angel of the Lord fed him. And now after his rebellion, Jesus in the Old Testament is talking with Elijah. That is not an indication of a man who's on the outs with God. He says, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king, and say, Is there because no, there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? And tell him he will, he will die. So the messengers came back really fast, and they go, We, got, we've, we heard, we got a message for you. What is it? Well, you're going to die. <laughs> How would you get back so quick? Well, this guy came and told us. What guy? We didn't learn his name. What did he look like? Well, he was really hairy. And he had this big leather belt on. Oh, that's Elijah. Mom's been trying to kill him for years. And he goes, I can pick up where, where Dad left off. Go get him. Arrest him. So he sent a, a soldier, a captain, with 50 men to go and take him down and bring him back. And they fully you know, with the intent of killing him. And so then it says in, in verse 9, the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him and he, behold, he was sitting on top of the, of the hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Now, at this point, my pulse would have just been going through the roof. Fifty-one men coming to arrest you with the intent of killing you. You get a little excited about this. I mean, when you think what we do when just a cop pulls you over, right? This is a lot worse than that. Fifty-one men, and their intent is nothing but harm. And Elijah just sits there. And he says in verse 10, If I am a man of God, let fire come down out of heaven and consume you and your 50. (laughs) 51 dead guys on the side of the hill. And he just sits there. He didn't go, wow, (laughs) come on, I didn't ever do that before. He just sits there. He's not excited. He's not worked up about it. And I wonder when he says, if... Because see, in the past, he would have gone, Oh, Lord, let these people know that you are the Lord God, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things. Remember that? Mount Carmel? Let these people know that I am your servant, and I have done all these things by your word. None of that now. He just sits there and goes, You know, I don't even know if I am a man of God. What man of God runs away from God's will? Hides in a cave. Whimpers like a child, full of self-pity, and refuses to yield to God. Can't say that I'm a man of God. If I'm a man of God, and I don't even know that I am, well, God will defend me. Let fire come down out of heaven and kill you. Well, the the king heard about it, so he sent another captain with his 50, verse 11. And that guy did the same thing. Oh, man of God, the king says, come down quickly. And Elijah says again, you know, I don't even know if I'm a man of God. If I'm a man of God, then let fire come down out of heaven and consume you and your 50. They're all dead. Now you got 102 dead guys on the side of the hill. The king doesn't give up. He sends another captain with his 50. This guy's got a whole different attitude. 
As you can imagine, he's just stepped over 102 bodies. And he begged Elijah and said, Oh man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down out of heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. In verse 15, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, It would seem that Jesus has been sitting there the whole time. And these men didn't see him. They make no response, no no comment about the angel of the Lord. But he's there with him. Now, which would be the bigger deal? Fire coming down out of heaven and killing 102 guys? Or having Jesus with you? Something's happened here with Elijah. Nothing seems to be getting a reaction from him. Now, chapter 2. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know, be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know, be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So all this repetition is for the sake of emphasis. I mean, he could have said at one time we'd get the picture. Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven and it doesn't matter to him. It's just another day. Really? All the sons of the prophets are going, do you know what's going to happen today? I know, Elisha. I know. I want to be there when it happens. And Elijah's going, long walk, buddy. Just stay here. It's no big deal. No big deal? You're going to be taken to heaven today. How often does that happen? Just really, it's a long walk. Something has happened to Elijah. And you can say it's depression, but I don't think that makes sense. I I do not think this is a depressed man. Something else has happened to him. Can you imagine if we all, before we came to church one Sunday, we had to be just reading our Bibles a little bit. Hope we all read our Bibles before we come to church. And, and we all reading our Bibles that Sunday, and we come across a verse that says, this is the day that Charlie goes to heaven. God's just going to come and get him. And so, man, what's, you're, you're, we're all, Charlie, you know what's happening today? I know. It's no, you know, just don't worry about it. You know, cowboys are playing this afternoon. You know, just, it's no big deal. One, that God has communicated this to everybody. And everybody is understandably excited, except the guy that ought to be excited. And it's as though he doesn't even care. Nothing is moving him. Well, we're not done yet. Verse 7, Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite at a distance while the two of them stood at the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, folded it together, struck the waters, 
and they were divided here and there. They walked across on dry ground. How else do you get across a river? Just slap it with your coat, man, and it just opens up. And he doesn't say a word. Really? Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, I'd really like to have a double portion of your spirit. I'll come back to that. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold, there appeared, appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up, to whirl, went up by whirlwind to heaven. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't raise his arms. Whee! Doesn't do anything. Just gets on the chariot and he's gone. Doesn't even say goodbye. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he returned to the Jordan. And when he walked up, he took his mantle and he struck the waters and he said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the waters opened up. Elisha is worked up by this. Elisha is crying out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah, when he hits the waters? But Elijah says nothing. There's only, I think, two reasonable explanations for what, for the lack of emotion from Elijah. And one of them is not that he's dead. He's very much alive. Either he is severely depressed or he has become so impressed with God himself that his, he is now unimpressed by the activity of God in comparison. God's activity is boring in comparison to God himself. This is amazing. There's only a, to this point, there's only been one other man who's ever gone to heaven without dying, Enoch. You remember, all we know about him is he walked with God and he was no more. There is no record of Enoch ever performing a miracle. So doing great things with God, for God, God doing great things through you is not what make us great people. Jesus said he's just looking for faith. And he says, work for the bread which endures forever. And they said, how? How do we work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. And we get our eyes so focused on the stuff, and Jesus is just looking for us to believe him. To walk with him. Enoch walked with God and was no more. Never performed a miracle. We can't point to anything that Enoch did except walk with God. That's it. We don't know who he preached to. Don't know if anybody got saved through him. Don't know that he wrote any books. He just simply walked with God. And I think... That's what has happened with Elijah. God is still using him, absolutely. 
But that's no longer the big deal for Elijah. It's just simply God. I like to joke with the students when I go through this passage, and I go, wouldn't it be great after Jesus comes again that we have a reunion? We'll all be gathered together at the foot of the throne of the Lamb. We'll all be there. We've all been gathered together, and we're right at the throne of Jesus. And so maybe we can kind of have, let's just plan it. We'll have a reunion while we're there. And so we'll, we'll have the class of His Hill 2023-24. And maybe just hold your sign up, you know. And we've had a few classes at His Hill, so I'll try to make my way around, you know, and, and say hi to you. And, and so, so, you know, I walk by, and I see the class of 23-24. You can, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. How's it been going, man? It's so great to see you. It's been forever, you know. Now we're all here. Let's catch up. Okay, Charlie. What God do with you after that year at His Hill? Well, I, I, yeah. Well, man, let me. One of the students says, "Did you know I wrote a book after His Hill?" Nah, you know, I, I, I don't know how you didn't hear about it. It was the best-selling book of all time. Sold more copies than the Bible. Don't even know how many people came to Christ. Charlie, did you write any books? No, <laughs> I didn't write any books. Another one of the students says, "Charlie, man, I, you know, I, I, I found out I had the gift of healing." And, oh, Charlie, I could just walk through hospitals and people were just throwing away their crutches and just hopping out of bed. and just I mean, hospitals were just shutting down everywhere. I started flying all over the world. Just in, it was just, Charlie, did you ever heal anybody? Well, I, I healed insomnia a couple of times, <laughs> putting people to sleep. But, no, I, I, I can't think of anybody. And another student says, oh, Charlie, God gave me the gift of raising the dead. And I could just drive by a graveyard and pop, 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 pop. Man, people are just, just popping out of the ground. Charlie, did you ever raise the dead? No. Thought about killing a few, but no, I, I, I never, never raised the dead. Do you really think, this is my point, do you really think when we're standing before the throne of the Lamb of God that we're going to be talking that we're going to be comparing what Jesus did through us? Do you think we'll be talking about what God did through us? What He did with us? I know we won't. Because Revelation chapter 1 says, In the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. What did John do when he was at the throne of the Lamb of God? 
He fell on his face as a dead man. One of the things that exposes just how trite, trivial we are is how much time we obsess over whether or not God is using us. I think Elijah is in the Bible. It's my personal opinion. He is in the Bible to show us he was just like us at one time. Constantly thinking about what God was or was not doing in the world and in and through him. And he got to a place where he failed. He said, no, no more, God, I'm done. And God still showed his grace to him. And I think he came to know that God's presence, that gentle blowing breeze, those daily flour tortillas, are all pictures that the reality of Jesus is greater than anything else. If we know anything about church history, past or present, we know we have countless brothers and sisters in Christ that are not thinking about how God is using them. They are so afflicted, so persecuted, so tortured, you know they're not thinking about anything but Jesus. And I know from the testimonies I've read of a few of them, they're not even praying for deliverance anymore. They're not even praying, Jesus, take me home. They're just saying, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus. Richard Wombrand that wrote Tortured for Christ spoke of that. Powerful book. And he says, so reduced that his one thought was just Jesus. Not even wondering if he'd ever be delivered again, ever be a pastor again, ever be used of God again. It's just, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And I believe that's what God is after in each of our lives. And then when God does use us, it doesn't spoil us. Then we don't get big heads. Then we realize that the sum total of God's activity is nothing in comparison to God himself. And the day is coming when we will stand before his presence. None of us are going to be talking about what God did with us or didn't do. We're just going to be fixated on Jesus. Is it any wonder that the New Testament tells us to fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith? It doesn't say fix our eyes on what He's doing or not doing, but to fix our eyes on Him, author and perfecter of our faith. Ahab, total contrast. God puts these men side by side so you can't read about Ahab without reading about Elijah or Elijah without reading about Ahab. Two men on completely different paths. Ahab, base, coarse, never really under the influence of God. 
couple times he obeys God in a limited way. But he has got to be one of the most base individuals in all of Scripture. No moral fabric at all to him. Whatever Jezebel wants, he does. King and nothing to him. Elijah, nobody from nowhere, and the king of kings sits with him on a hilltop. Which would you rather have? The riches of this world and all the power and glory that comes from it or to be a poor man on a mountaintop with Jesus? We want Jesus. And that's all Elijah wanted, just to be in the presence of God. And God answered that prayer by taking him home. Let's just go home. We too will be home with Jesus one day. He came into this world, which we'll be talking more about over the next couple of weeks, but he came into this world to save sinners. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we can say our sin has been taken away. It doesn't get any better than that. My sin has been taken away. And I have been given a relationship with the living God. I have been given His very life. Lord, let me forget everything else. And live just so humbly before you that my eyes truly stay fixed on you, regardless of anything else that's going on around us. I'll close us in prayer. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy toward us. We all sin, have sinned, and yet, God, in your grace and mercy, you take us as we are. You restore us, put us back on the path of life. And it's not so that we could be of great use to you, but that we might just simply know you in your greatness. You have saved us, God. You have redeemed us. You have restored us. Thank you that Elijah is a picture, God, of not just what you can do with and through a man, but more importantly, what you can do in a man. To bring him to that place of single-minded, simple devotion to Jesus. Where all that matters, God, is you and your loving presence. I pray that we would not resist you, not thwart you, but increasingly, God, in the days that you've given us, especially as they seem to be getting darker, that we would be having our gaze fixed on Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that we will be with you one day in the only thing that will captivate our hearts and our imaginations will be you. In Jesus' name, amen.